Hello, you've reached the Running From Diabetes hotline. To enter a race, plus one. To enter your blood sugars, press two. To gripe about being a diabetic, press three. To listen to the podcast, press four. Welcome to the Running From Diabetes Podcast. This is Kevin Kilograms, and this is my audio journal of my life dealing with diabetes as I train for endurance sports. Welcome to Running From Diabetes Podcast. It's episode 30, and I'm Kevin Kilograms. Today is uh, December... 18th, I think. I think it said we've got it's a Sunday. We've got one week till Christmas. Man, that came up. I've been paying attention to my own little world, not paying attention to a lot of stuff that's going on around me. Um, I'm on a the last weekend's run. I was supposed to do last weekend the run, run, walk. So we're out, Honey and I, we're doing six miles. We did a one-mile walk, two miles run at uh, the Galloway 1-in-1. One one. We did a run-walk 1-in-1. One and, one. and then uh, we're going to do a three-mile, we'll call it a cardio walk back because I'm going to keep my heart rate over about 35. So it's not a stroll. Sunny Southern California. Got a bunch of clouds in the sky. It rained last night. Sprinkled. Didn't really rain. And, um, I don't know. It's 58, 59 degrees, somewhere around there. It's a little colder where I live, uh, pretty close to the ocean, and so we get a lot of ocean breeze. the wind picks up as the day progresses until it reaches its maximum about, I don't know, 4.35 o'clock, and then it dies off. Which, summer, that's great, you know. You can surf in the morning. Wind coming, the onshore winds for surfers suck because it, it's pushing behind the waves and it pushes them down and makes them not waves, or if they are, they're not as big and not as formed up as they could be offshore is perfect but you know we got we don't get a whole lot of that that's everybody makes the trek down to the ocean if there's a swell and an onshore offshore excuse me because that's when you're going to get your your epic days but um and then uh the wind picks up and blows and blows and blows probably Anywhere for between 15 and 25 miles an hour. And then it um, subsides. And in the summer, you know, that happens between 5 and 6, but you still got a lot of sunlight left. We call that evening glass off. And the water becomes glassy again. Waves take on their shape. So, uh, the update today 
is uh, all I wanted to do was create a podcast all week long. Just a bitch. <laughs> so I thought, I'll, I'll bitch a little bit, but I'm not going to bitch this whole podcast. That's, But I just had a really, really rough week. Their family cycling next to me. So, they probably rode their bikes to the beach and now they're heading back. This is a great time to head back because that wind on your back is like awesome. A lot of cyclists out. A lot of a. Today I'm catching a lot of runners. I'm really excited. I, you know, it's, it's coming on to the... One of my favorite times as a runner is seeing all the... Uh, how you doing? That dude's you know, got his fuel belt on. I'm pretty sure he's training for a spring marathon. Moving quite well. So uh, the New Year's resolutioners... Is what I'm going to call him, Hanny. You know, it's a uh, it's a shame most of them won't last, but I'm really believe that we'll catch a few converts. The uh, excuse the wind, I'm turned sideways into it. And I waited till I was on my way back, so the wind would be in my back and I could hide that. So. How you doing? Holding on. Yeah. That's all we're doing right now. Yeah. Oh, you can ask for sometimes. Yeah. So, uh, the uh, news resolutioners, you know, you can tell them there. We talked about ones in the cotton sweats and the old running shoes. When nothing gets me more excited, the first time around, I just see them. And the next week, I see them. And when I start seeing them the third, maybe the fourth week, is when I, I like paying attention to them. Ooh, that's a cold wind. My goodness. And a Goodyear blimp up. No kidding. Uh, I'm going to hold off for a second. I'm almost across this bridge. <coughs> wind you wouldn't be able to hear me anyway how you doing how you doing so there you go see back to wind of my back and broken up by some of the grasslands here so and you start seeing them change their attire the running gait gets a little smoother I don't know if they've lost weight. You know, I don't even really pay attention. I'm a very heavy runner myself. Have even in my prime. Which was funny because I was a skinny ass kid. Real skinny. I graduated high school at 5'9", 145 pounds. And I went in the service. And I don't know how long it took me to get the other two inches that I grew, but... The, uh, I came out of, uh, I went to air, let's see, I went to basic, 
AIT, which I was a combat engineer, and then I went to airborne school. And I came out of airborne school. No, 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 take that back. I went to air assault school first. Then I went to airborne school. And then out of airborne school, I was in the best shape of my life, and I had always been active. I need to stop pulling. I heal. And I um, weighed a buck seventy-five, and I wasn't this monstrous man, but I sure was defined and ripped. Needless to say, I am a very heavy runner, so I don't comment on anybody's, you know, heavier runners with Clydesdales. I think the women are called Athenas. But it's nice to see them start changing their attire. Then you know they're making a bigger commitment to the running world and their health. Doesn't mean necessarily that they'll stick to it, but out of the bunch that I see in January, I still see a few out, you know. You know, come around summer and they're still on the trail. A lot of them will switch to cycling or add cycling. But it's, it's that transformation that is one of the most exciting things of becoming an adult-onset athlete. That's what I've always called it. So my week, in a nutshell, was just being sick. Um, couldn't shake the flu. I had all the problems, let's call it that without being overt, of the flu. The uh, Wednesday I felt a little bit better. My brother had said he really needed me, so I, you know, I went to, went to work and I got through the day, but I was miserable. And uh, the problems with low and high blood sugars is that it, um, makes me dizzy with a bunch of little guys and uh, climbing up 20 foot ladders is not a good thing when you're dizzy <laughs> that's um okay three adults six seven kids I'll just cruise along. It's funny because all the adults are wearing flip-flops. Can't be that cold out. So I was just miserable. I did everything I could to get back in the saddle. And of course, Saturday things pick up. Actually, Friday afternoon they did. So Saturday I, I did a three-miler. Two walking, one run in the middle of it. And, um, oh, more. Oh, I got a whole bunch of stuff coming. Must be a group of families. And so today we leads me to going today. Last night we had the first of our Christmas parties. My mother belongs to a, a social sorority. It's kind of more like a philanthropic group for women. And uh, they had their annual Christmas gathering, and 
my mother has always volunteered all of us. <laughs> this is another one of those rare occasions. They do uh think of what a, oh um a prime rib why am I having trouble thinking of it they did a prime rib uh, bone in rib roast and uh, I am the uh, accomplished amateur chef I am not a professional. I've uh, not attended any. Come on. Not attended any professional training and uh, some minor amateur stuff. But so I always get the task of preparing the prime rib. They say it's too expensive of a cut of meat to let. It, you know, get burned away. My mother, her first attempt at it several years ago, it was well overdone. And my father passed away last year in December. And so we didn't host it last year and someone else did. And I guess they overdid it. Easy to do. Real easy to do. It takes the magic of an instant read thermometer. I recommend going to... Hell, I think Target carries them now. I don't even have to go to a chef store. The the ones that are digital that sit outside the oven and the probe is on a wire that feeds down into the oven and sits into the meat and stays there. And uh, you can set ours, you set a timer or the temperature or both. And uh, so I, you know, you cook the outside on a high temperature and then you turn it down low and just wait for the temperature and the no, uh, the finished product you want which I go for a medium rare and um, which is a buck 25 let it um, set after you get it to a buck 25 take it off and I tend to cover with aluminum foil and I just let it settle but it also will increase the extra five degrees hitting a buck 30 and turn out perfect if the outside starts getting a little too crisp you cover the aluminum foil earlier to halt the crisping per se or slow it down on the outside needless to say so now I got cooking the meat again and carving it <laughs> of course I'm not eating the meat so I resorted to what I'm now calling the magic meat vegetable, the mushroom. I have figured out some really cool recipes of mushrooms, but this time all I did was took a couple pork bellows. I marinated them in some, I'm going to call them steaky type seasoning. I, it was a balsamic vinegar, olive oil, Worcestershire sauce, a little hot sauce, a little hot sauce, salt, pepper, and a little bit of fresh thyme and I just sort of let them soak I actually put them top down and poured some of the marinade into the the gills 
and just let them soak all that goodness up and then I I cook them gill side down for five or six minutes and then flip them over and gill side up to get the top nice and wilted in the crisp edge and took a little bit of low fat cheddar and grated just a little probably a tablespoon on each and a big portobello's and that was my steak so the magic foods see I hadn't bitched all day <laughs> all podcasts my goodness so I'm learning to deal with the off-handed situations it's funny I've been a diabetic for mm, 15 plus years uh I have been, I was a, I'm a type one and a half, which means I was a type two turned into a type one. And not for the same reasons uh, that a type one becomes a type one. The, um, when I was diagnosed, I was given a, a pill and sent home and told to take a, I think it was metformin, glucophage, whatever. One a day or two a day and just watch what you eat. Gee, thanks. I was able to hide that fact. I was a um, a police officer at the time, and I didn't. I knew with a diabetic diagnosis, most likely they were going to take me off patrol, which is what I wanted to do as a police officer. I didn't want to be a detective. I didn't want to do anything else. I liked being a patrol officer. So, um, I hid it, which wasn't terribly difficult to do for, uh, one, one pill a day type person. But the moral, what I was getting at was that there was no education or re-education. There was no how to deal with this other than take a pill and just keep doing what you're doing I wasn't overweight I wasn't didn't have any of the classic uh, symptoms I wasn't in a high risk category because by that time take that back my grandfather had been diagnosed with diabetes but that was the only classic um, indicator of a risk factor as one person in my family and so, I didn't treat it more than just taking the pill. Finally, it kept progressing to a point that I had to really step up the care. And when I say step up, I don't mean diet and exercise. I only mean increasing the medication, adding more, seeing the doctor more often, and adding insulin different types of insulin therapies finally got to a point where once you're poking insulin into your system you don't really boy I swear that's my bicycle <laughs> you don't uh, can't be a patrol officer anymore you can't hide that fact that you're sticking needles into your abdomen they can't have you shooting insulin and chasing bad guys so I was relegated to a desk job and there go, I left the department. Again, 
they finally offered me getting to know diabetes type class. And basically they talked about pricking your finger. They talked about uh, eating a balanced diet with no indication what that is. And they talked about taking your medication on time. Nothing about exercise. So I followed that, you know. They didn't even really talk, the, the, the fact that they didn't talk about a balanced diet and that, you know, even, they didn't even pick a diet. You know, are we talking about the old four square diet that we learned in elementary school? Are we talking about the current pyramid diet? Are we talking about DASH? Are we talking about what? What are we talking about? So I thought, well, my diet's good. I, I eat a sensible 6 to 15 ounces of steak and I'll curb my red meat to a couple days a week and I eat chicken and then the simple fact that it's skin on and a lot of times fried and my vegetables are way overcooked and not enough of them and a lot of processed starch no wonder, duh and then a lack of, you know, no longer a police officer. No, so a lack of physical activity. No wonder it continued to progress. Until I finally got so sick. But I also got into reading up on my own. I had to actually go dig for the, the literature. And I started recognizing things that I could do sort of halted the progress I took up oh then I had a diagnosis of cancer and that was the that's the bottom you know when an alcoholic stops drinking they typically call it he hits bottom and seeks help at that point in time um, so I started exercising you know running turned out to be my joy adding more surfing into it being religious with my medication but the diet was not still, it improved, but it didn't improve significantly. So my biggest problem with this whole disease is multifold. Now, I don't blame the doctors because they had lack of information. I mean, they really didn't have the information out there few places. Now, Kaiser Permanente, who is my healthcare provider, have gone above and beyond allowing program, having programs to teach the early diagnosis, young diagnosis, um, newly diagnosed uh, diabetics on how to work with the disease. But you know, and I talk to other people and, you know, there's still one guy, I mean, I was going to school just recently. I am one of the, he's the uh, retired contractor and he's working as a, I don't know what his, the construction area. Um, engineering and construction have a work area where they actually build stuff 
they call it a lab and so I guess he's the he's in charge of that lab area orders the supplies keeps everybody safe that type of thing and um he's a diabetic we talk and he tests his blood sugar once a week he's not sure I mean he knows what a high is but she's seems to be moderately in control but no one's even explained to him what um, how to deal with this and how to keep it from progressing or if it does what else you can do he's just taking his one pill a day and or two pills a day whatever it was and very inadequately checking his blood sugar so I find this half the problem with diabetes I have no proof to aim at what causes it or how it gets there or if there is even is a cause there has to be a causation in my opinion because it wouldn't become becoming the epidemic it is but you gotta sit there and train some people on how to how to deal with their disease early and often you got to get strict with it right up front so they don't become me and wake up you know even when my blood sugars are in control I wake up feeling like I have the flu even when I'm not sick that's just normal I wake up feeling like dirt Everything's going right, no matter what. I wake up in the morning and I feel like dirt. And I have to start processing my body, whether it be taking my blood sugar, putting insulin in the system, feeding it, whatever it is, until I start feeling better. I shouldn't have to wake up feeling like that. I shouldn't have to spend the day going through highs and lows highs where I feel flu symptoms high is typically felt like I, I tell people but not everybody has experienced this where you eat too much sugar you know you eat too much pie and you feel cruddy you know that feeling um, that's a that's a high on the opposite end a low has two different feelings. One is the rapid drop of sugar, which then your body just pumps adrenaline into your system and you start shaking and you start fidgeting and all you want to do is just literally jump out of your skin. It's a crappy, crappy feeling. Uh, most people who have ever been into a, an accident or had a close brush with something uh, omnibus, it'll be an accident or with the law or whatnot, have that adrenaline feeling. Especially in an accident where you don't have the release like you're running or something like that. You just... Phew. The other one is the actual low where you get into a spot where you can literally stop thinking. Um, your mind, your, your brain cannot use any form of fuel except glucose straight sugar and if you're low on that your body will start shutting down 
other options. It actually dumps insulin, or not insulin, uh, adrenaline in, so your muscles will release its sugar to feed your brain. But if it's just going low, then your your mind stops to function and you start becoming stupid like you're drunk. Not a happy drunk either, just a falling down stupid drunk. Slipping all over the place and not being able to comprehend people talking to you and not being able to I was once folding some tarps I was having this low didn't know it and I couldn't figure out how to fold a tarp I just kind of bunched it up and unbunched it and unbunched it up and unbunched it and knew I needed to do something with the tarp I just couldn't figure out and then my brother realized that I was something was wrong obviously so he pulled me out of it sat me down and gave me some sugar These are not symptoms that most people go through when they get a diagnosis. They usually get a light diagnosis. They get a pill and get sent home. They don't realize it will progress. It will progress to this, especially if they're diagnosed early enough. And heaven forbid they suffer from the complications. You know, I suffer from some retinopathy and some neuropathy. The retinopathy, my, my eyesight kind of, kind of comes and goes. There are days, you know, and as my blood sugars change, my eyesight will change too, but I have lost, I used to have 20-10. I used to be able to see things like a hawk. When I was in the Army, I, I had the best eyes. I could see at night. I had no problems whatsoever. Now I have trouble reading things on TV. Some of that could be just coming with age, but most of it's not. Especially when I see it come and go. And then neuropathy. The nerves in my legs don't fire correctly. Sometimes, you know, at its peak, and I seem to have reversed it quite a bit, but at its peak, I had a lot of numb spots, which in all it is the worst but it is dangerous because what happens is, is you end up getting a cut there or something and you don't know it and then it gets infected and then you the trouble starts from there the other side though is the ongoing one where that prickly feeling you know your leg or arm or whatnot falling asleep and then you get the pin feeling that's the wonderful nerve sensation I get in my legs and they become jolty, you know. I'll lay in bed and they'll jolt for no reason. Or they'll feel prickly and I have to constantly... It's like restless leg syndrome. That's not what it is. But they constantly have to keep them moving because they, they hurt. These are minor complications compared to heart disease, stroke. Heaven forbid my, my grandfather suffered... He wasn't diagnosed with diabetes until he suffered a stroke. And then they figured out, well, you're diabetic. I wonder how long you've been diabetic. Now you've suffered a, luckily it was a minor stroke in comparison. So there's my bitching. I apologize and for the rambling on. I'm going to leave it at that. This is Kevin Kilograms, and I'm 
out. Out of here. Aren't we, honey? We're out of here. Oh. Podcast. And this is Jeff Galloway, distance running expert and author of the Galloway Run Walk Run Training Method. Jeff, do you realize that you and I have been doing a series of podcasts now for almost two years? That's over 25 hours of tips and tricks all designed to get each and every listener from wherever they are gently across the finish line of a marathon with a smile on their face and injury free. That's a lot of help, Kevin, and judging from the feedback, we've been rather successful. It has been, Jeff, but I think it's time we stop for a minute and ask for some help. Jeff, do you realize that, except for skin cancer, breast cancer is the most common cancer among women in the United States? Or, in 2011, some 290,000 women are expected to be diagnosed with breast cancer in the United States? Wow, sobering statistics, Kevin, and I think I know where you're headed with this. Jeff, what better way for listeners to show their support for our podcasting efforts than to help the two of us support the National Marathon to Finish Breast Cancer? Perfect idea, Kevin. The National Marathon to Finish Breast Cancer is the only marathon in the country dedicated solely to breast cancer research and care. 100% of the funds by runners and all donations benefit Bench Top Breast Cancer Research at Mayo Clinic and to help meet the critical needs of those in need with breast cancer through the Donna Foundation. Won't you please visit our website at www.theextramile262.com where you will find a pink ribbon on the right side of the page. Clicking on this will take you right to the Extra Mile podcast to finish breast cancer fundraising page. Please think about contributing whatever you can to this amazing cause. And think very seriously about running the race with us next year, too. Remember, 100% of your entry fee goes towards research and care as well. It's going to be a great weekend and an even greater reason to run. Thanks so much for your support, and you all enjoy that extra mile. More than